0: All right. Good evening. Welcome to the Gideon Warrior Radio Network. Uh, for those of you that are joining, thank you for joining us live. And those that are listening to the archives, if you have any questions or anything in the future, feel free to send us an, idio- uh, an email if you'd like at GideonElite at ProtonMail.com. And uh, just want to open the door here right away. Uh, We've got uh, prayers that are needed in Odessa. The water system has failed and the entire county is out and that affects Brother Russell and his family. So we do want to uh, keep that in prayer that they have a swift recover on that. I told them it would be a good time for them to potentially uh, take a trip to Wisconsin if they're not going to have any water, but It'd take them almost a week to make a round trip, and maybe they'll have the water on in a couple days and not a week. So, anyhow, um, we are in part four of our series, Kingdom Dominion or Future Dominion, and it is a bird's eye view of Revelation, and without further delay uh, for this evening's uh, fellowship, I do want to go ahead and get started and... um, get things underway because I've already used up some of that time myself because I was delayed. But in part three, by way of review, we were able to glean from the scriptures that this kingdom dominion theology is firmly rooted not in Old Testament theology, but actually carried into the New Testament, making it unequivocally a scriptural kingdom dominion theology. We learned at 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-four 24 to 8 that Christ destroyed the enemy, death, and all things were definitively put under his authority as confirmed by Jesus' first interaction upon his resurrection at Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20. Also by Paul with 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-four to 28, this kingdom over which Jesus took dominion was to come with power which some standing there at that time would not taste of death until that kingdom of God came with power. We learn from Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians at chapter 4, 16 to 17, that Jesus was to descend with the trump of God from heaven, and we, the scripture says, meaning those then alive, it says we which are alive would be caught up together. So, that we which are alive and remain in that passage is not and cannot be a future event. We learned that Jesus, as the Lord of the vineyard in Matthew 21, 33 to 36 parable, asked the wicked husbandmen, what the Lord of the vineyard should do to those men. And they sealed their punishment and fate when they told Jesus he should utterly destroy them, which is exactly what he did when he returned in 70 A.D. for that purpose. We read from Josephus' uh, Josephus, um, account at wars that... He wrote of false prophets in his day who deceived multitudes of people, so their destruction was all the greater. We found that scriptures such as Matthew twenty four fourteen and the Great Commission of Mark thirteen ten and Matthew twenty eight nineteen to twenty all were fulfilled by proper understanding of the scriptures, not improper interpretation and speculation, as the scripture says. All things in this generation. Finally, we discovered the historical fact of famines and rumors of wars and invading armies and thousands of dead in both Josephus and Tacitus annals, and concluded that Jesus is the king of king of his dominion. isaiah nine six, John twelve fifteen, first Timothy six fifteen, revelation seventeen fourteen and 1916, and Acts 2.30. So here we are now in part four of the kingdom dominion, or future dominion, a bird's eye view of Revelation. We really do have to get this right. The Old Covenant, according to the scriptures, is to vanish away, as we read from Hebrews 8.13, if something old is vanishing away, what of necessity must come? Something new. And that something new was to have no end, as we read from Ephesians 3 20 and 21. Having failed to understand the two houses of Israel, And the two different prophetic treatments, the ecclesiastical leaders have been unable to understand the age-ending events and have incorrectly interpreted much of these events as yet to occur. It goes back to the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. In chapter 2, where we are told in verses 37 to 44, the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed in the days of those kings. And those days were the days of the Roman Empire. Let's go quickly to Daniel chapter 2. I didn't have it in my notes, but I did have the scripture, and so maybe it's worthwhile for us to read this and comment on it. I'll start at 37. Thou, O King, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, has He given thine hand, given into thy hand, and has made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after these shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. "...for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, and as iron that breaks all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. "...and whereas thou saw the feet and toes part of the potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron. "...for as much as thou saw the iron mixed with miry clay, and the toes of the feet were part iron and part clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas I saw the iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain. And the interpretation thereof? Sure. And the scripture. You can see Micah 4 2, Isaiah 2 3, Isaiah 2 3, uh, the mountain of Israel is what is referred to in Isaiah 2 3. So when he is referencing here, <clears throat> for as much as thou saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain, the stone. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, is the stone cut out of the mountain of Israel, is he not? The mountain of Israel is the whole house of Israel, which is the house of Judah the house of Israel combined. So just a couple more scriptures that I made a note in my Bible there right at that passage 44, Michael 4.2 and Isaiah 2.3. So <clears throat> this abomination and desolation of Matthew 24:15 to 16 is that which was spoken of by Daniel in both chapter 7 and chapter 9. And we really would do well to read both of them. I'm not sure that I should take the time to read, Both Daniel 7 and Daniel 9, in light of trying to get concluded for this evening's fellowship, that which needs to get done in this part 4. So, I will try to recap again um, from a bird's eye view, if you will, Daniel chapter 7. Now, remember, Daniel is conveying a vision that he sees. And... This um, four winds of the heaven, in verse 2, um, strove upon the great sea, uh, down to 7-7. Seven, seven. After this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it and had ten horns. He considers the horn. Drop down to verse nine. I beheld the thrones. They were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garments were made white as snow. We read about some garments being made white as snow. If we didn't, we're going to read about it tonight. And the judgment was set and the books were opened. We see in in verse ten. Uh, The son of man uh, and his eternal kingdom is referenced here in chapter 7, verse 14. It was given him dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not, is a kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Then... In the latter half of 7, you get the interpretation. It says that the great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall rise out of the earth. So we have an understanding that there's going to be four kings there. Number 17 in verse 18 says, the saints of the Most High, the saints of the Most High, the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. Shall take the kingdom. You can go to Isaiah chapter sixty, Isaiah chapter sixty, verses twelve to fourteen, second Timothy two, eleven to twelve, Revelation two, twenty six and seven, Revelation three and twenty one, and Revelation twenty and four. And this is what Daniel's vision is conveying is exactly what you read in those scriptures. These saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess possess the kingdom forever and ever, forever and ever. That's pretty conclusive forever to me. And then, essentially, the saints of the Most High, once again, up at uh, the latter half of 22, and the time came that the saints The kingdom and verse 27 and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him End of the scripture of seven Daniel chapter nine. This is where you learn of the desolation and God's righteous judgment. I'm going to drop down to verse 11. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they may not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. That is so pivotal, pivotal and so important. The oath, the law of Moses, Leviticus 26.14, Deuteronomy 27.15, Deuteronomy 28.15, 29.20, 30.17-18, and 31.17, and 32.19, and in finite of those scriptures dealing with that. All Israel has transgressed this law of Moses, the servant of God. This is where that Mount Sinai covenant, that new covenant, Testament, that first testament covenant of God was recorded, and Israel became his bride. The bride that we read about in Hosea, the bride that all that we reviewed in Hosea, God shared with Hosea and had Hosea take a wife of whoredom just like God had a wife of whoredom, and then expressed all his love and and everything for that bride and how he was going to be faithful to her and all Israel wondered how he could possibly be faithful to her when he'd already given the divorce decree in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8 when he said that he had divorced her but Judah he did not divorce and you come into Gabriel's interpretation at chapter nine, verse twenty, and on, um, and and after this, I guess I don't have it marked specifically, but bear in mind, Daniel was told to seal up that vision. Um, I should have made a note of that. I'm just looking real quick to see if I had it underscored myself, but I'm not seeing it offhand, so I'm not going to delay much more on that. But you have this abomination of desolation and everything that was spoken of. Uh, What I was trying to bring to your attention was the kingdom dominion in those passages of Daniel's, Chapter seven chapter two, chapter seven and chapter nine uh, visions and prophecy, more than I was emphasizing perhaps the abomination of desolation, but I referenced the abomination of desolation of Matthew twenty four, fifteen. But that is that which was spoken of by Daniel in chapter nine verses twenty six and twenty seven. And of course a parallel account of that is in Luke twenty one twenty to twenty two. Uh, parallel to Matthew twenty four fifteen. Now, the holy place, it's important to understand that holy place encompasses the whole holy city, Jerusalem, obviously, and the holy temple and the greater landmass of the house of Judah or greater Judea. And some may be quick to say, well, we know Jerusalem and the temple was taken by Rome in, in history. But I respond Again, as I said just a minute ago, Daniel was to seal the future vision. But did you know or realize that John was not to seal it? Turn with me quick to Revelation chapter 22, the end of the book. For those that love the end of the book, you know, they just want to go to the end of the book. I can't understand everything else in between. Just give me the end of the book. Just tell me what the end of the book says. All right, well, this is for those into the bookers. 22 of Revelation, verse 10. And he says unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. What? Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. I should have had that scripture reference and Daniel written down. I flipped back to Daniel here just quick to see if I can. Uh, Jeremiah, you could do a quick uh, search on that um, for the, um, uh, just so everybody has it. I don't want anybody to think that I'm just telling you something that it isn't, but the ceiling of the vision in, in Daniel. If, if you do that alone on your search on that, that should pop it in for you. Uh, and then you can share that with us. So, now, I ask you, those listening to this series of messages, why on earth should we be misled Let me say that again. Why should we be misled by revelation being a future end time vision and revelation to John by Jesus? If Daniel was told to seal it up because I'm sorry, Melissa. There's nothing I can do about the transcript. Um, It looks as if maybe we've got a problem with that, and I don't know when the transcript, the transcript is supposed to populate at the end of it, and I'm sorry to interrupt everybody. Um, I've got a uh, chat indicating that the, um, just, just suggesting that I make sure that there's a transcript, so let me just clarify a couple of things. Several weeks ago when TalkShoe did its updates, it revamped some things, and one of the problems that I was having is I would just make the pre-recorded, or excuse me, the pre-arranged weekly meetings, I would set those into the system, and then after we did them, if a title had developed, or I already knew a title, but a, you know, I would, I would Edit that title. Instead of just saying "Open Fellowship," it would say "Rev." It would say whatever and Part One or Part Two or whatever. Okay, well that part of their system got changed, and so when I went to edit some of the audios about eight weeks ago, it took away the transcript. It actually began with um, Doctor. Um, Doctor, um, the doctor from Texas. I'm I'm drawing a blank on his name. Forgive me, Dr. Bartlett. And um, Dr. Bartlett, when I edited that, we lost the transcript, and so the edited version does not get the transcript. And so I indicated in a help ticket that there was a problem and I'm told that they're working on it, but I just edited three of these last audios, and it appears that it was not corrected because, Melissa, you didn't get transcripts on it, and um, I will see what I can do to get that restored through another help ticket. So, I got that. All right, now, again, let me ask the question. People, why should we be, be misled to believe that revelation is all a future vision and revelation to John by Jesus, when Jesus says here in the scripture, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. And yet the vision that Daniel had in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, he was told not to seal it up or excuse me, to seal it up because the time was not yet. In other words, that vision was not to be known completely or understood completely until a future time was at hand. Jesus expressed that when you see the abomination, the desolation, know that the time is at hand. And Jesus is conveying to Paul Uh, excuse me, John in Revelation here at Revelation 22.10, that he's not to seal the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now, he didn't say the prophecy of this chapter. Remember, chapters and verses were all added later. He's talking about the entire Revelation given to John. So, therefore, the answer to that question is we should not any longer be misled. And so let's not. And I'll see what I can do to try to help along that way, in my own simple way, disjointed as it may be or anything else. But as I say, I don't believe you can understand anything about what revelation is to mean if you don't have an understanding and a grasp of the two houses, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, that all encompass all Israel and nothing whatsoever to have to do with this land with the modern day Israel attached to it and a people claiming and professing to be God's chosen people. As I've said in the series Israel, Judah, and Jew, even if they could claim a of an ounce of Judahite blood even if they are not all of God's chosen people get that down in your core because this really is the fight that exists with the enemies of Jesus And as kingdom, dominion, servants, and saints, we need to understand who the enemy is. If they are not the enemy, explain to me why, and don't tell me, oh, well, there's Messianic Jews. Explain to me why. They will not tell you the truth that they can't possibly be representative of all Israel. you tell me why Hebrews 8.8 completely conveys a new covenant, a new testament was being made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah? So that's just a little bit of a side diversion there that I probably shouldn't have taken that 10 minutes to do. But it's very important. A lot of these fellowships that we've had and the things that we've studied, um, they've, you know, as Pastor used to often say is, you know, you got to get up to speed. And we're putting it out there for everybody to be able to get up to speed and All right, audio back. I think I lost audio again, but I think it came back. Just confirm for me, Jeremiah. All right, I hear back. You. Yep. All right, sounds good. All right, so you didn't miss anything. I knew immediately when it went down. So, um, all right, with this kingdom dominion backdrop, we're going to take sort of a broad view of Revelation. So, go ahead and open your Bibles into Revelation, and we're going to begin with Revelation chapter 1. We've done this before in other fellowships because we've swerved into these through things that we were studying. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John. Drop down to verse 3. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says Yahweh, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Verse 19. Write these things which thou seest and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. All of these scriptures convey an at-hand message John was to record for the seven assemblies. Remember the word church is an improper translation. Ecclesia, meaning called or assembly, depending on its usage. It would be called in many usages, and assembly or called, the called or in in various uses. So for the seven, remember, basically that he's conveying that there's an ad-hand message to the seven assemblies of Jesus, those that have assembled in the name of Jesus. And these seven groupings or assemblies are the preponderance of Israelite location and regions where the gospel news, meaning the good news of Israel's redemption, went out. So, bird's eye view. We're just going to step back, pop back out of this thing. We're going to take a look at it. Chapter 1 through 4 conveys the failings or the shortcomings, which were already evident in the roughly three decades post-resurrection and pre-70 destruction. In 12.4 and 8.9 of Daniel, I've got this scripture. I did have it, Jeremiah. I thought I must have it in my notes, but Daniel 12.4 and 8.9, Daniel was told to seal up the vision and the prophecy for the time was not. And we went over Revelation 22.10 about the time being at hand and not to seal it up. Just these two things Fundamental instructions are nearly all one needs to understand that what one hears the televangelists and ecclesiastical leaders and prophecy hucksters are saying is simply not true. Just those two fundamental instructions. Suffice it to say. We don't necessarily need to review Revelations 1 to three in this bird's eye or broad view. We're to remain confident in this and rely on the time statements of chapter 1, 1, 1 1,3, 1, 8, and 19, as well as 22:10 in this broad view. So even if you don't like my broad view, You want to get into the weeds and duck under and see what's actually underneath in the vision and what each specific thing means or whatever, that's fine. I'm not doing that. And there's a purpose that I'm not doing that because I don't want to lose you in some of those things. So, My bird's-eye view of one and three is Jesus is conveying to John to those seven assemblies in those seven regions where Israelites are that they have gone and brought that great news to about the redemption of Israel. That's the bird's-eye view. He's got some problems with some of them. Some of them are doing good. Some of them have some really bad habits. You can read that on your own. They're not hard to follow. Chapter 4 puts in our minds the scene of the vision, the throne set in heaven, and that's where we're going to go ahead and zoom down in a little bit. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Right here immediately again, we have a time statement after the opening of the door. And the instruction to come up and he'll show him some things which must be hereafter. Bird's eye view. Jump back to Revelation chapter 22. Something we want to share with you out of verse 6. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. Yahweh, God of the holy prophets, sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. This scripture unequivocally conveys Yahweh of the Holy Prophet, Yahweh the God of the Holy Prophets. Everyone that knows those Holy Prophets in those books, in this 66 book collection we call the Bible, and understands they were the Holy Prophets, sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. I know that there's those of you joining the fellowship and listening to the archives that are just like me, a professing professing Christian, simply desiring to know and understand our God's written record to us. I ask, is this not simple to understand? If we will stop listening to the noise being caused by so many. False teachers I know I don't have any of the credentials behind my name that I can puff myself up. It's not about me. Not about me at all. It is about our king and his dominion. See we must diminish we must diminish. That's what it means to be a servant of a king. Being a servant of a king, you carry out his commission, his directive, his orders. Not yours. Not your will. Not your desire. Not your fanciful desire. And a lot of Christians would do well to get that right. But isn't this simple to understand? And this, these sayings are faithful and true. Boy, these sayings are faithful and true. I don't want to argue with them now, do I? sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. What is this now, at least? a dozen between Matthew chapter 24 and Revelation alone, not to mention the other epistles that we've already referenced, and two times here in Revelation 22, the end of the book, 22.6 and 22.10, are we told that the time is at hand. Now the first thing always necessary seems to be to undo what has been done in our minds or our understanding in order to possibly be able to correct our understanding. What exactly would that be? I just asked. When can we attribute the revelation of Christ to John as having been recorded. And see, this is the first place you're going to find the controversy. When was this revelation given to John? If once, well, let me say this first. I don't want to say that. As it goes, usually, I guess, and as it goes with interpretation, it largely depends on what doctrine is being espoused that makes the determination, not what should be logically deduced or gleaned from the scriptures. And in this instance, there's no exception to that general issue, I guess. Because if one's theology or interpretation of Revelation is a future theology or future view, one needs Revelation to be written after 70 A.D and this destruction of Greater Judea and the Temple. However, suffice it to say, the only reason that later date position of it being written and given to John in 95 to 96 AD is applied is due to Irenaeus who was subsequently quoted or relied on by seceding teachers. It was Irenaeus who wrote that it was the 11th Roman king or emperor, Domitian, who sentenced John to Patmos after unsuccessfully trying to boil him in a vat of oil twice, of which John miraculously was not harmed. But, If Domitian sent him to Patmos, it hardly seems plausible because John died at roughly 94 years of age, if I remember correctly. So he would have been in his late 80s or even early 90s at the time this revelation was given to him. Keep that in your thoughts. How could a man of this age really have had any significant impact on Domitian's reign? And remember, I said to you that the only reason the 95 to 96 AD speculation of when this revelation to John was written and given to him, the only reason that can ever be cited for that being is because Irenaeus spoke about it, and he was quoted by others. But Irenaeus was already a couple hundred years after. You see the problem with that? Speculation alert. One thing you get, you get with me is, I'll tell you when I'm speculating. Speculation alert. My thought is, Domitian actually likely ordered John released at the end of his reign to quietly die in Ephesus. That's a speculation alert end. Why do I say that? It follows the Roman system of pardons, which we have right here in America. A great Roman system and structure of pardons. And isn't that what happens with the pardon system? The pardon comes at the end of a term, of a reign. It's believed that John died at 94 years of age in Ephesus, so it's more likely that John was exiled to Patmos by Nero, who reigned from 54 to 68 AD, as the ancient Syriac text actually records. So there you have the two camps, 54 to 68 AD is when this revelation was given, or the later date of 95 to 96 the later date of 95 to 96 has no real validity at all. However, the oldest text of the Syriac text indicates that it was actually, he was exiled somewhere between 54 and 68 AD during Nero's reign. And I, speculation alert, believe That was most likely of God. And I'm going to share with you a couple thoughts on why. That's just a speculation. I'll share those thoughts with you. I think you'll be inclined to agree scripturally it has great validity. Let's try to use Revelation to interpret itself. No, we really can't. In Revelations chapter 2 and 3, as I indicated, we find the heretical issues plaguing the called of Christ. Do I have audio back? Do I have audio back? I'm not sure that I do. Is audio back? Is audio back? Well, I don't know what's going, but uh, that's twice. So we've got uh, an issue with that. You didn't lose anything. You didn't lose anything. I was about to say another speculation alert. We can use revelation to interpret itself, but a speculation here. Consider, if you will, John being exiled by the will of Christ to view the coming destruction and to receive the revelation of the destruction from afar and be protected from it. And I'm going to tell you why I say it and take it for what it's worth. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall, be, shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. This forever dominion, which was again announced, now specifically at verse 7, he comes with the clouds or on the clouds or in the cloud. And a cloud is usually darkening. And in Thessalon, or excuse me, in this sense, it always is in reference to the coming judgment, as in Matthew 24, 30. And Christ said this, recorded at Mark 13, 26, and Luke 21, 27. Every eye shall see him. And just ask yourself the question, what of every eye's? And the answer is in that next verse, where it says, "They also which pierced him." If they're going to see, they which pierced him, is this far future? The kindreds of the earth is the same as the tribes of the land. Look those words up. Punch them in. Punch the scripture into Bible Hub. And look at the definitions of the word. In other words, all Judea, the Judahites who pierced him, but all the eyes of all Israel will witness his presence and fury which is being revealed. The they in this passage is unequivocally not far future. What possible good could Christ's revelation to John of events far future, even 90 to 96 A.D. be of any value to any, including those that pierced him. A thought just came to my mind. I don't have the scripture right off the top of my head, but one of the fundamental things in the Word of God is warning his enemies of their coming destruction. I think it's probably Ezekiel that I recall that from. Um, probably all the prophets, but it really is time to wake up and be the Christians that we ought to be rightly dividing the word of Yahweh. As to my speculation, I'm going to cover that in just a couple more minutes about why I guess I kind of swerved into it. You remember in Revelation chapter one that we just read? What was it, verse five? Jesus said, "Oh, let me go back, so I don't leave anybody." Um, one. Oh, yeah, chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus the Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. It made me wonder about the two witnesses. Is Jesus one of the witnesses and the apostle John? is the other witness. John is the only witness, well, that did not die by martyrdom. I'm going to share with you some things in the book of John here shortly. But it's just got to be time for us to wake up. The Judaizers that Paul warned us of, still holding to the covenant of the First Testament as Paul himself did for a time, and their persecutions of the faithful and repentant believers upon the Son and the Heir, all continued after Christ's resurrection. So much so that nearly all, her Christ prophesy, were delivered up to be killed, and John was told by an angel at Revelation 10:11, "Let's go there. want to get ahead of myself there." So we did a bird's eye view, basically, of 1 to 4. What's going on there? We don't need to really read it. You know, for I'm not just telling you that we don't need to read it. I'm just saying you can read that on your own. It's pretty self-explanatory. But in Revelation 10:11. He says unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, again, you have to ask yourself a question. If a date of 90 to 96 A.D. is when this revelation was given to John, and John is going to die, uh, as I understand it, he died around 100 A.D., 100 to 101, somewhere in there. So he was, uh, as far as we can tell, 94 years of age. So what good would it be to tell him that you must prophesy again before many people's tongues and nations and kings? Now some might be tempted to say, well, he's going to prophesy through this book. Well, then why wouldn't he just say, Because of your testimony in this book, you will prophesy. Just asking. To me, it doesn't make any sense. So if Revelation was not written by John before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, one is left only with the conclusion that John did a terrible job of fulfilling Christ's expectations. as for me and my house, we're going to believe he did an excellent job as a good and faithful witness and servant and is still doing so by his written record today. You know, when you think about it, I want to take you to John, the book of John, the gospel of John, probably really the only way to really try to emphasize it and bring it home. There's a really curious thing that happens in John chapter 21. Uh, Here it is, verse 20. Uh, okay, we're going to back up for context. Uh, for context, at 2115, this is where Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. Peter responds by saying, you know I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Verse 18, chapter 21, verse of uh, Gospel of John. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou were young, who is he speaking to? Peter. You girded yourself and walked wherever you would, but when you'll be old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou would not. Verse 19. This he spake, signifying by what death Peter should glorify God. Now I inserted the word Peter instead of the word he. This he spake, signifying by what death Peter should glorify God. (laughs) And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. Peter turning about. All right, before I say that, what you have here is a conversation with Peter And Jesus conveys something to Peter about a manner of death that Peter's going to suffer. And he says, follow me. Just like you would say to somebody that you want to have some private discourse with. Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following Who's the disciple that Jesus loved? John. Let's put that word in there. Let's put that that proper name in there. Peter, turning about, sees John, whom Jesus loved, following. And said, Lord, which is he that betrays thee? Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, And what shall this man do? So he asked two questions at the same time. And the second question is, what shall this man do? Referring to John. Jesus said to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. (laughs) I am not giving you an interpretation of what transpired in these scriptures. You see that verse 23 specifies this saying went abroad among the brethren, that would be the disciples, obviously, the close circle. That the disciple, that that disciple should not die, yet Jesus said unto him, he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry, till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And isn't that the same thing John wrote in Revelation 22, And I believe it was? This is true. This is the end of John's gospel. Now you hopefully can see and understand that John was not to die. And Jesus himself says, what's it to you, Peter, if I will that he remains alive? That is power and authority, ladies and gentlemen. Convey that it is a heavenly will. John would not die, and that's why I made that speculation to you about, was it possible John was exiled to Patmos by the hand and the divine intervention of God? In essence, keeping him safe and giving him a bird's-eye view of the smoke that was going to ascend in the land of Judea, temple, and the holy city, Jerusalem. So how we got to where we are right now, we had to divert slightly to determine if the book was actually written at a time period pre-A.D. 70 or post-70 A.D. in order that we might not be misled. To believe a doctrine which requires us to believe revelation is prophecy of a far future, or even modern-day events. With just this much, we haven't even scratched the surface of the contents of the book, really. But have we not sufficiently proven by the scriptures already... The post-70 AD view and interpretation is false teaching and deceiving, a damnable destructive heresy. Now before someone misinterprets me, let me clearly emphasize, could any of these prophetic biblical records of God's wrath and destruction come upon those of us in our day, you better believe it. And only God knows when he's seen enough or had enough that earth's inhabitants have so oppressed one another that divine intervention is required. So my answer, we know not the day or the hour the Lord doth come. We best be about the Father's will. But I will not allow the deceivers to deceive me into believing revelation is far future off of the flimsy evidence that Irenaeus claimed it was and the seceding writers copied him, number one. And number two, If they can't read scripture the way we've just read these few parts of it and come to the conclusion it can't possibly be far future, I am certain it's not me with the problem. Back to Revelation chapter 4. John sees the throne and the 24 seats around the throne to get back there in Revelation myself. All right, we're going to kind of take a little bit of a bird's eye view at Revelation 4 real quick. The 24 seats around the throne with the 24 elders with crowns of gold. Skipping the imagery, drop down to verse 11 in chapter 4. The one on the throne is worthy of glory, honor, and power, and he created all things. Chapter 5. This is about a book being sealed with seven seals. He that sat on the throne has a book with seven seals. Strong angel asked, who's worthy to open the book and loose the seals? At verse 5, we are told the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and loose the seals. 5.5. And one of the elders says unto me, weep thought, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. That's the same thing you're going to read in Genesis 49.10. Let's go there. I'm sure some people are going to think, what? Are you serious? Really? Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet shall Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Isn't that something? Clear back in the Genesis is why we need to understand this kingdom-dominion theology. Why we have to understand who these people are that are recorded from the very opening chapters of Genesis through the conclusion of the book and the emphasis of that commission that was given to them to take the dominion for righteousness. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. That tells you that Judah is the scepter people. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Clear reference to Christ. just thinking here of I've got a note here on my page and I was going to give you a reference I've got Deuteronomy 2857 and Isaiah 111 1, Isaiah 6211 and Ezekiel 21:27 and Matthew 21 9 as cross references to this verse of Genesis 49. Now, let's go to the Second Testament and the book of Hebrews in that Second Testament to take you to chapter 7 and verse 14 for it is evident that our lord sprang out of judah of which tribe moses spake nothing concerning priesthood so here paul is telling those in the hebrews how important it was for them to understand that the lord the redeemer was going to spring out of judah and would have nothing to do with the priesthood of the Old Covenant. Nothing whatsoever. All right. Um, very important. Let's turn to Revelation 22.16 and let's get a confirmation of this from Jesus himself. Revelation 22.16 I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the in the assemblies. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So he confirms that he is the root and the offspring of David. Again, as I said, Isaiah 11, uh, verses 1 and 10 and Romans 15 too. Now, back to chapter 4 of Revelation, because we've now confirmed all of that that Christ is. This lamb he sees in the midst at verse 6 of Revelation 4. There was a sea of glass, I under let's see, uh, where did I go? Verse 6. Um, Um, he that sat uh, I'm at verse 3 of 4, four three. He, he And he that sat Was to look upon like Jasper to sardine stone And there was a rainbow round about The throne in sight Like unto an emerald Round about the throne were four and twenty seats And upon the seats I saw Twenty-four elders sitting clothed In white raiment and they had on their heads Crowns of gold and out of the throne Proceed lightnings, thunderings, voices There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like under crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion, the second beast a calf, the third beast a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. The four beasts had each of them six wings round about. They're full of eyes. They said, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the four, 24 elders fall down before him and sat, that sat on the throne and worshiped him that lived forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy. So here we've got this lamb in the midst of the throne, the elders, It's as it stands, as, as it were slain, came to take the book, John does, to take the book out of his hand. And, gosh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was, I was reading yet at 4, but I wanted to be in 5. I'm sorry. I, I, I went back to 4 in my notes, and I didn't need to. But here in 5, 6, I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So the important thing here, gleaning from this, at verse 6, we've got this lamb in the midst of the throne and the elder stands as has been slain. He came, John does, in verses 9 and 10, um, or in verses uh, in the midst of the throne, let's see, 7. He came, uh, yeah, 7. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, The 24 elders fell down before the land, every one of them having harps and uh, golden vials full of orders, which are the prayers of the saints. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So here we have 24 hours singing a new song, and he's redeemed us to God by the blood. He's made who could be redeemed. The only people that could be redeemed to God are those who are no longer his. How do you redeem a kinsman? He's your kinsman, you can redeem him. If he's not a kinsman, you're not a kinsman redeemer. And says that he's going to made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. The only people who could be redeemed is Israel. They're the only ones recorded in the testamental compact, the Sinaitic marriage covenant compact, who were divorced and cast off and needed to be redeemed. This book with the seven seals contains, according to Revelation 6, manifestations of God's judgment. And the evidence is revealed in chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. When he had opened the... Uh, let see, do I want to do that in... Yeah. All right. So in chapter six, the first seal is open, the second seal is open, the third seal is open, the fourth seal is open, the fifth seal, and the sixth seal is open. And each one of those seals that is open has another manifestation of the judgment. That's the bird's eye view. In verses 9 to 11, it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. The slain for the word of God and the testimony they had are to rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Is this far future brethren like you and me? No. No, it's not. Not at all. Verse 17 says, for the great day of his wrath is come. We shall be able to stand. And of course, if it's all far future, it all makes sense, right? James the just, Philip, Matthew, Paul, Andrew, Bartholomew, which was Nathaniel, James, the son of Alphaeus, Barnabas, all appear to have been slain prior to 60 A.D. I've already excluded John by the very words of Jesus, John chapter 21. It would appear Simon, Thomas, and Peter were those yet to be slain at or near the fall and destruction of Jerusalem, along with many other believers. To confirm by revelation the redemption of Israel and the kingdom. We can liken the book with seven seals as we would a last will and testament. Which is sealed. But it's to be opened upon the death of the testator. And in this case, God's son, the resurrected is able to open his own previously sealed testament written in essentially his own blood and read out the will. The gifts to whom he will and the denial of gifts to those that are not in compliance at the death of the testator and the period of time granted for them to recognize the death of the testator and his requisite to be absolved of judgment to the unfaithful and unrighteous stewards. In short, who are the inheritors and who are the dispossessed? An unrepentant and unfaithful Judah would be dispossessed of the inheritance purchased by the blood of the testator. Revelation 4 is simply showing you a throne room. Revelation 5 is simply showing you a book sealed with seven seals, the Testament sealed. The Lamb of the tribe of Judah is going to open those seals. Those seals in chapter 6 represent the judgment. They're the manifestations of the judgment. She, Judah, failed to understand the parable and the prophecies. So she put to death the heir and the son of the vineyard owner. You remember the parable that we read. Of the vineyard owner. Judah failed to understand the parable. Just exactly as Jesus said, he wanted them not to understand. (coughs) He wanted them not to understand, lest they would be converted and repent, and he should have to heal them. Not understanding the judgment. The scepter was departed from her and given to the son, the heir, a son who came from the loins of the lineage of the very patriarch David by the will of God. In keeping with his oath to David at 2 Samuel 7 that he would always have a king on the throne. And he sure does. He has the king of kings. Lord of Lords find that in 2 Samuel 7 that prophecy Psalms eighty-nine, nineteen, Jeremiah I think it's 23 my notes are a little scribbly there 23, 5, and 6 and certainly others again I didn't cover 1 to 3 that's pretty self-explanatory I think Four, five, and six, we just went through. We got to the end of the fifth seal. We're going to cover the sixth seal next week. I'm trying to get us to step back and try to view in the broader sense the book of Revelation, laying aside some of the visionary or imagery so that we might better be able to see the clear picture and then ultimately more effectively deal with and understand the imagery or at least recognize the imagery in a proper context. And so you can see that I'm not wanting us to bog down in each chapter, in each verse, with imagery. But to take a bird's eye view of what's actually happening here. And put a real and proper biblical face on it, if you will. And then as necessary and when necessary, Will zoom in like an eagle onto the prey. There are six chapters so far, and the outline of what is recorded. And if you think about it, it mirrors the Old Testament record foretold by Christ in Matthew 23 and Matthew 24. The identity of the prophet is given. And his authority to speak in behalf of God. Revelation chapter 1. Secondly. Seven woes. To seven assemblies of God. Admonitions. Or praises. And or praises if you like that. Or reminders. That's what the prophets have done. Identify the prophet. His authority to speak in behalf of God. Then he tells the people of their errors. There are missions. Third thing, the throne room of God with the elders looking on in expectation and imposition of the judgments of God. A sealed testament of the covenant and the duties and responsibilities, Revelation 4 and 5, just like the sealed covenant of the Sinaitic Covenant. Fifthly, judgment being foretold and pronounced, its manifestations exhibited Revelation six, sword, the pestilence and the famine, captives of war, etc. All to be carried out in the judgment. I hope this is beginning to help you start to see this. with a different light and a different perspective than what you've been taught. We're not done. I know I've got notes for parts five and six. They'll probably be a part seven. So with that, we're a little bit long, but we started a little bit late. So I'm going to conclude part four with this. And encourage everybody that I may not have the best presentation and command of how I wanted to necessarily share this with you but I felt strongly in my spirit that we have such a lack of understanding of the kingdom dominion of our king that our minds are so far taken away from the objective that he wills for us as kings and priests acting in his behalf while he's away. And having an understanding of the kingdom and who the two tribe houses of Israel were, Judah and Israel, is fundamentally critical to an understanding Of Revelation. Because what I've shared with you so far is this has to do with this people and this judgment and this scepter being removed from Judah. That is the first covenantal testament that placed that scepter in Judah's possession. It is being transferred to a new heir. That new heir is still an heir from the loins of the patriarch David, just as God prophesied. And if you can't see the miraculous, what our God did and recorded for us about this king of kings, that is, to have dominion forever and ever and forever. This is why I say this futurist view on this book of Revelation has made the ecclesiastical leaders of the day of no earthly good because they will not take dominion. I believe it was Melissa said to me earlier before we broke the recording, that something I'd said it rang true to her about what I might be starting to share with you in these last several fellowships. And it truly is. It truly is remarkable that they have done such a good job of being so deceiving to us And if it's because they simply do not know, then they ought to know. Because I'm not a PhD, I've got a high school education. I don't claim that I know everything, that I've got all truth. But I'm doing more than I ever had studying the Word in the last 10, 15 years than I did in the prior 20 years. And that that is the case for a lot of us. We get caught with the trappings of life and this word becomes secondary, intentionally or unintentionally, And a great portion of the beauty of this love story here this. So with that, I'll conclude. And Rich, I hear you there, and you don't sound good. I knew when you didn't join last week, and I had just said to Jeremiah before I hooked up here, I said, I was trying to get some time to get Rich called to find out how he was doing, but it sounds like you are dealing with something, Um, probably the manifestations of a lot of the viral stuff that's going around. How you doing, brother? Now he missed me or he had to, did you mute Rich if you did? Um, But I see you there. And I know you've been kind of coughing. So, Heavenly Father, I'm just going to take this right to prayer. Father, you know our needs. Father, you know that we stand faithful before you. And, Father, we aren't perfect. Father, we've missed the mark in many ways. I'll speak for myself. I have, Father. I... I to abide in your perfect will is what we would all desire to do. Father, teach us and guide us and strengthen us to do that each and every day. Thank you, Father, for that which you've done for us and taking away that curse of death from us. The giving of your only begotten Son that he might take those stripes for us. That he would restore that Fellowship, people of Israel desired so much for, but were so incapable of abiding in your will. You showed us, Lord, that you are King of Kings, and you are due all worthy in honor, glory, and praise. Father, we praise You. Glorify You. We want to glorify You more. We want to keep glorifying You. We want to win the race. Father, we pray for Your healing hand upon all of us. All this that's going about and all that these evil and wicked doers have done. Pervade <clears throat> your people with disease and sickness. Killing us, Father. Just as these that were killed before said, How long, will the Lord, before you will avenge? There's a lot of people dying in those last couple of years, Father, your people. Hello. I still don't uh, have any audio.